The Hero's Journey podcast is filled with an abundance of spoilers. If you haven't read this week's book, I recommend you do so, as it will certainly help you follow along. Although, if you're only interested in hearing our take on this story, listen on. Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I'm here with my notorious nobles. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And each week, we look at a different book through the lens of Joseph Campbell's monomyth. This week on A Hero's Journey, we're discussing Rage of Dragons by Evan Winter, the first book in The Burning. This story follows Tao, a member of the Lessers, uh, subject to the noble class, and we start with him and his father training with a noble, Jabari, hoping to pass the test to get, join the society's military and fight the savages that keep attacking them. During Jabari's testing to enter the noble military, Tao fights with and defeats a noble, causing other nobles to challenge him to a duel. Tao's father takes his place and is killed. Following this, Tao flees his village after killing a noble who had wronged him and essentially caused his father's death. Tao joins into the lesser side of the military uh, under the tutorage of Jaed, a prominent lesser um, and valued military advisor. During his training with the scale of Jaed, Tao becomes a fearsome warrior, learning to fight with two swords and entering into the demon world, Shogo, and training at fighting demons. Tao is eventually able to lead his scale into the queen's melee, fighting against other noble scales in a, a bid for the queen's favor. During this, a coup is attempted with other nobles trying to overthrow the queen and take her place. Tao joins with his scale, Zuri, a gifted from his village, and Kellen, a noble warrior, to try and save the queen from the coup. Well, let's start at the very beginning. As I've heard, it's a very good place to start with our departure from the ordinary world and our call to adventure, uh, arguing for this week and leading us on our hero's journey. I give you Alex. Tao's journey here uh, seems to be going one way towards revenge, but I think that the actual journey we should talk about is Tao's goal to prove that the lessers aren't really less than the noble class, as they are constantly told. For his call to adventure, Tao sees the first battle against the savages, quote, that are... Um, trying to repel the chosen, the people the Tao is part of, from their land. And he also has, after this, a call to take the test to join the lesser's half of the military, the Iyashi. Following this call to adventure, the refusal of the call, I think, is this thought that Tao has of injuring himself after passing the Iyashi test. Tao thinks, why don't I cripple myself so I won't have to fight? He saw this battle and seeing a real combat for the first time, Tao is afraid of it and tries to find a way out of this. He doesn't really uh, reaffirm this goal of 
joining the military and proving that the lessers are equal to the nobles until later in the story. For a mentor, I think Arun, Tao's father, fits this pretty well. He trains Tao and Jabari, the noble who is Tao's best friend in his village, for years. Um, and there is a specific gift that he gives, fighting in Tao's place uh, when Tao strikes down a noble in practice combat and is threatened with death because he struck a noble, something he should not be able to do. Before crossing the threshold, this is when Tao kills Lakan, uh, the brother of Jabari. He leaves the village following this, and he kills Lakan because Lakan essentially caused Arun's death. Uh, Lakan set up Tao to fight this noble and then inflamed the other nobles, the more powerful ones, viewing the test to try and kill Tao and eventually Arin as Arin fought in Tao's place. And during this struggle where he kills the Khan, Tao is experiencing danger fighting with a much uh, fighting with a much larger noble person, uh, having to leave his village, strike out on his own for the first time in his life. For Belly of the Whale, I would say this is the trial to join the Ashi, where Jayad this lesser who has become a renowned military advisor to the queen offers him a place in his scale, this group who is going to train to join the military. Here, Tao is offered and accepts this goal of proving that the Ayashi can be as powerful and fight almost as well as the nobles. Um, and this is really reaffirming his quest, and I think this is the first time that Tao sees that part of his part of his life is going to be to prove that he is equal to the nobles and he is not less than them. So the primary problem I have with our call to adventure, and I would say the, the bulk of the beginning of the departure, is I don't think we get to this quest that you've outlined for us, this adventure, until the belly of the whale, like you highlighted. Uh, the fact that Tao isn't really pushing towards an equality amongst the cast or even rising himself above the nobles until far later, uh, until the entry, uh, until his trial to become an Iyashi. Uh, and so I think that leaves the first few steps, specifically the call to adventure, somewhat lacking for me uh, as they are relevant to the, to the journey. So I, I think that this is partially my fault. There are times when Tao is sparring with Jabari and thinking to himself, like he wants to join the military, he wants to do all of these things, and he wishes he was as fast as Jabari. He wishes he was strong as Jabari. And really the fight with the um, Hideni probably isn't the best call, the most perfect call. I think that there are just sprinkles of this idea that he wants to be equal to the nobles, that he thinks he should be equal to the nobles. And really what I like to see in the belly of the whale is a reaffirmation of that idea, the idea of the quest. So I, we have hints of this, and really in the belly, Tao sets himself down this path of becoming equal to the nobles or proving that the lessers are equal to the nobles. What if we move the death of his father as the call? Because, right, that's that's sort of the first time that he says directly out loud that, right, just because my father was lesser doesn't mean his life was worth any less. So if that was the call, is there a better... Can you Do either of you have a refusal you'd prefer there? So... I actually really 
I think the refusal is 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 a good one, but if you're saying that his goal is only achievable through military placement and that there couldn't be per se a goal of because this is again pre his father's death, a idea of a life well lived in in within the society's folds being you know, one way to show his superiority to the nobles. Like, I don't need your society. I can, I can live somehow separate from it. But the, the refusal, I think, only makes sense here extremely well if the military and the Iyashi are the only way the Tao is going to be able to achieve his goal. And it I seems think... to have been framed in his own mind, at least, that that is the case. Yeah, I think that is true based on the way the society is set up. There is... Uh... The society is very militaristic. If you're not part of the military, if you are a lesser and if you can't become an Iyashi, you become one of the frontline soldiers, basically cannon fodder. Or if you don't join the military at all, you become one of the drudgery, this kind of like outcast class. There is no way that Tao can advance in society without joining the military. Does he need to advance in society to gain his goals? Uh, once he, re- what once his the call has taken place, yes. But the Tao that we're introduced to is more want right wants a simple life. Yeah, and he, he wants, wants to marry the woman he and he wants to marry the woman he loves. He wants to work as a right the equivalent of a bookkeeper in the local castle that isn't a castle, but and wanted the exact opposite of what society wanted for him. So even his like goal to become a bookkeeper and work in the little fief that he's part of, he would have to pass the military test and then get so injured that he couldn't complete his military service. That's how militaristic the society is. There's no way to advance in society without joining the military. And I think if you're trying to prove that you are not a lesser person, part of it right you have to you have to make the most that you can in the society i like i said i like the refuse of the call if the purpose of tao's adventure is that he needs to you filter everything through the military um i like the mentor it's very obvious through the uh training that he's given tao and jabari that uh, he's been a strong presence in their life and he holds a lot of respect both in their eyes and the eyes of the community um so i think he ticks that box right there the crossing of the threshold, I'm also okay with. It's a it's a fairly large moment in Tao's life. It's when we get into the belly of the whale that I both want to stress that this feels more like an entry to our road of trials, which I know was somewhat what the belly of the whale is, but I really felt the kind of exile into uh, then the the civil the new city that he's not the first thing he says when he walks in there's more people here than I even imagined could exist on the whole peninsula let alone in this one city and just being overwhelmed um, I think to just brush past the almost stunning defeat that he takes nearly immediately and then just at the last minute through more guile than anything is able to continue on as he gets his opponent disqualified then just kind of giving that a blanket turn and then saying, yep, he's in the scale, I think somewhat does it a disservice. Um, but that's what makes it the belly of the whale. The first fight of the trial and the second fight of the trial show the two different ways that he's willing to 
commit himself wholly to joining the military well, as part of He has he has a couple in between there. Yeah, yeah but those I, fights are much shorter and don't, don't Yeah, you just called them the first and second fights. I just No, the first and last fight. Oh, okay. Yeah. I and I kind of agree with Zach that this feels like a trial. Part of the issue I have when going through this book is there's a lot that happens again. I don't know why I do this for myself picking these long books with the one point of view essentially for my trials, but there are a lot of things that happen. And I think that this could have been a trial, but I think that with his reaffirmation in this talk with J Ed following the fight, I don't want to list it as a trial. I think that it's a larger belly of the whale moment. Yeah. I think you could have restructured everything as well. And you could, I'm sure there's an argument to make for the killing of Lacan to be the belly of the whale, because that's a point of no return where he has recommitted himself to this quest. And when he walks away from killing Lacan, right, is when he has his Arya Stark moment where he starts naming the men that he's going to kill. We've picked that as our crossing. You've picked that as our crossing at the threshold, but I think it could also, right, this book is littered with moments where Tao commits himself to his cause because it's part of the building of his character. I, I think that point you mentioned is the split where if I was going for, this is a story about revenge, Killing Lacan would definitely be the belly of the whale, but I don't think this is a story solely about revenge. That's definitely a huge part of it, and we'll we'll be talking about this, but not the main. Part. Okay, I want to I want to. How thinks it's a story? About yes, revenge. I wanted to yeah. I wanted to mention that every other character tries to make the story about something else when Tao repeatedly tries to make it solely about revenge. And and when we get to the ultimate boon, we can handle that when we get there. Well, that is going to close us out on our departure from the ordinary world. Uh, I'm going to leave it scored at five out of five, though if any uh, listeners want to reach out with their opinion, I think the nature of the call to adventure and refusal of the call here is pretty interesting. So let us know your thoughts. You can always hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at a underscore heroes underscore journey. And training relentlessly 24 hours a day, we start our initiation into the world of the quest and our road of trials. Oh boy, does Tao train. That is actually going to be all of the road of trials, just different phases in Tao's training here. For his first trial, and again, these are extended and go throughout most of the novel. I think there are some points to highlight, though. Tao training with just his scale, I think, is the first trial. And when the end point of this trial, I think, is when he learns how to fight with two swords. So this would include the whole time training with his arm broken and using a shield. And eventually Tao realizes that that is not the best way for him to fight. Um, he has trained with his whole life with his right hand and trained more intensely than any person ever with his left hand. So now... He's got two pretty good hands to fight, and that is a good endpoint there. The second part of the Road of Trials, I think, is his scrimmages against the noble, the nobles um, with his whole scale. Tao uses his two swords to fight the nobles and starts to prove that he can fight as well as or better than many of them. So to cap off Tao's trial of fighting and scrimmages against the nobles, Tao has a fight with Kellen. Uh, in the city. This is the first time he's encountered him, and even though 
Kellen is kind of toying with Tao and could easily defeat him, we can see how much Tao has progressed. He's not something to be wished away. He can fight him even if it's for a short amount of time, something that Tao's father wasn't able to do. And for the final trial, I think that this is when Tao starts to fight in Ishago, uh, the land of the demons. He realizes that he cannot train enough to overcome his physical deficits while he is living in the real world. If he goes to the demon world, he extends the time that he is able to train and fights beasts that he cannot possibly hope to defeat, presenting him with a real challenge, one that he doesn't often get when fighting among his own scale. There's no end cap to this in my mind, that this is probably something that's going to continue, but the, this time that he spends fighting demons is the last part of the trial, road of trials. For our meeting with the higher power, I want to highlight Zuri, the gifted from Tal's village, who it's Tal's romantic interest in this book. Um, Zuri has several instances where she shares information with Tao that is important to him in the future. The first instance, she shares some information about the call, the call and shows Tao Ishoga. And in the second, she shares information about the dragons and how the dragons are controlled and really manipulated into helping the chosen. For a temptress, I think that this is an alternate quest that Tao could have gone down. Um, we hear repeatedly from people that we trust, Jayad and Zuri, that Kellen is not a bad noble. He is not like the other nobles that uh, not really conspired. This was a spur of the moment thing, but the other nobles that killed Aran, Tao's father. So Tao's desire to kill Kellen Omar is a temptress. It's not the real reason why he's fighting. He's fighting to show that he is equal to the nobles and to get justice for his father, not to get revenge. Um, it's often highlighted in fantasy sci-fi books that those are different things. And this book, I think, does a really good job of highlighting that as well. For Atonement with the Creator, I think this is another moment that is a little bit extended. This is, for me, Tal's time in the Queen's Melee all the way through the death of Jad. And here we see how much Tao has progressed in his combat skills, being able to lead a scale of lessers against the nobles for the first time in decades. And going into a fight with uh, the invaders, the Hedeni, Jayad's death obviously is very impactful to Tao, as Jayad is the person who gave Tao the opportunity to join a scale, of fighting for him to join the scale, even after Tao technically lost a, a fight in the trial. And Jayad continuously provides Tao help and aid, trying to guide him in the proper way uh, to show that he is as good as or better than the nobles. For our apotheosis, Tao has this realization, along with uh, several other characters, that uh, there is a coup ongoing to overthrow the queen, that Jamila called down a dragon on the conclave of the Hedini, the leadership of the Hedini, and threw a piece that was tenuously bartered into question. Um, and that Tao and his scale are 
essentially the only ones able to go and provide help to the queen to save her. And I think that that is really the ultimate boon. Cao himself is able to go and save the queen. He fights one of the enraged, a noble who has been gifted great powers by the gifted. That a noble person, a normal group of people cannot overwhelm. It typically takes you know, dozens of sh soldiers piling on to an enraged to, to, to uh, defeat them. And Tao is able to do that by himself, saving the queen and starting to show nobles, including the queen and Kellen, that lessers are not lesser. So your road of trials, I think, are fairly well selected. I think the training with the scale, the two is two sword fighting, good. I think the scrimmages against the nobles, especially his first fight with Kellen, showcases a progression but not necessarily something entirely unique as opposed to his beginning uh training i just think it showcases he's he's apt but still not of a league um, of the higher nobles and i don't think that the so that central one i don't think does much except for lead into his fighting in the spirit world um, so it seems more like a preface to his third trial than it's his own specific trial. Okay, that's interesting. I don't I don't know. There's a lot of time where Tao fights in the scale and he is proving himself to himself and others that he can fight with nobles. He it, it's not like he is not able to fight nobles and only realizes that when he fights Kellen, he is able to fight nobles. But after this, this fight with Kellen shows him that he has so much further to go to fight with the best of them. I suppose it, it seems like to me that the trials seem to be relegated solely to his combat ability improvement over time. Whereas I would have liked to have seen trials like we've seen in other books in which different trials focus on different aspects of character growth. Um, you know, like we had with Darrow with the different trusting of friends or, or what, what have you, even, you know, keeping it solely in this book, it seems very one dimensional in his progression. And I don't know if that necessarily is indicative of the type of hero Tao wants to be, or there therefore becomes or if it just means he kind of falls short in that aspect that we want to see in a well-rounded hero. I agree with you in that Tao seems kind of one-dimensional in this. He, he really only cares about fighting because there are these divergent paths that we've kind of, I've kind of mentioned. Um, the, the path of revenge is the one that Tao is following for most of the book. It It's a single-minded desire to become better so he can, kill these nobles and i hope we see some more development in, in further books where tau develops into becoming more than someone hell-bent on revenge and develops further these other abilities we see his friends um, advancing in their strategy and um, and politicking and he he doesn't he's single-mindedly focused on this fighting which is amazing for this first book but uh, there, there is other development that Tao could be doing later. I think that the fighting in here, though, works well to highlight Tao's progression, um, while also really giving us this focus on the revenge that becomes a major temptress in the story. 
And I think if we wanted to combine trials two and three, the way Zach talked about, we could actually talk about uh, the one the one area where Tao does begin to grow outside of combat is in his relationship with Zuri after he's started. Right, they've meet they've met up a few times. She's passed on information. That's what I was wanting, Jack. Yeah, I was wanting and, I was wanting a, a tertiary, a secondary, or, or even tertiary kind of moment of growth and zuri i think fits that yeah right ultimately once he's begun to go a little bit insane from dying in hell a thousand times a night um which is literally a plot line from dr strange about how that would drive a man insane tau is able to at least for zuri with great difficulty put that part of himself aside to still be the man that she wants to love. So I think it's interesting you've chosen Zuri as the higher power. Um, I was expecting going into this that you would uh, choose uh, Jaya as the uh, as the higher power because of the scale that he formed. Um, I think Zuri, the more I've thought about it, does make a good amount of sense, both because of her magical uh, insight and the what she ends up giving to Tao that allows him to to up his training level. So I think this is good. Um, although it does make me question somewhat the type of power struggle. Have we seen situations before in which the higher power ends up uh, in a situation that Zuri finds herself at the end of the book? Or is this the first time we've seen? Because, uh, like in Aragon, Rom was the mentor. I'm just trying to think of a story where the higher power, because we see the mentor die all the time. Obi Wan, Rom doesn't matter. It, it's it's a recurring theme. I, I how many times have we seen it happen to the higher power? That's a good question. I don't I don't know if that's happened before on the. Podcast. Maybe in Harrow? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, but I, I, I think for our podcast leads, it's rare. But if we look at the meeting with the higher power as sort of, right, it goes by many names, one of which being uh, meeting with the goddess. And by that more classical archetype, Zuri definitely yeah, she's that called. all the way through. All, yeah, all the way through her eventual pseudo martyrdom. Where Tao dies, where she dies with Tao unable to defend her. Um, I think it's also interesting that Tao is in a relationship with Zuri, the a higher power. I, I think we have kind of decided that we're we're not arguing this point. No, no, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I like her. We're, we're discussing the complexities of it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I think it's interesting to have a person of the higher power have a relationship with the hero, and also to die at the end. It makes Zuri a more interesting character to me, although I am sad to see her go. I am also obviously. sad to see her go. Um, <laughs> moving to your Temptress, I don't like your Temptress. Uh, I think what mainly because it's something that Tao himself repeatedly continues on, even against the well wishes and merit of all the people who know the situation with, a, a, I would say, less colored lenses than Tao. Um, Man, it's almost like it's a tempting thing for him. No, it's not a tempting thing because it's something that he, it's not just a temptation. He falls to the temptress. I, I'm going to have to cut you off there. The, the like, 
true if the atonement with the creator wasn't a different moment in this book the like heart of this story is the moment in the throne room where after killing man two of four on his list tau decides to save the queen he overcomes his temptation like the fourth time around you mean way at the end of the initiation and not where the temptation yeah. is supposed to he be? Falls for this, he falls to this temptation for the majority of the book. But it is still his temptress. And he ultimately doesn't kill Kellen, who he spends the majority of this book thinking is going to be number two of four. But then he ends the book with saying, I only care about killing number four. And I may have forgotten about number three, but number four needs to fucking die. I gotta, I gotta highlight this. The temptress is to kill Kellen because that wouldn't be justice. Kellen didn't kill Tao's father out of malice or anything. He didn't want to do that. He was forced and manipulated into doing this and did everything he could to spare him. Okay, killing these other people is more justice. It's still, still definitely not quote justice. justice yeah, you do it. yeah. Uh, but it, uh, Kellen. Man thinks that he's doing good when he's like, ah, oh, well, I'm not going to kill him. I'll just hit him on the head and make people think that I killed him. But also he's sitting there going, well, can't believe I have to go through all this effort because of one lesser. My family is more important. And he so, then just decides to kill him. He then just decides to kill him. But here's the problem. If we're only focusing on Kellen, Alex, is that this is not something I, he I gives up until the heat him. of the final moments, in which case... You know, it seems like it's. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't fit well with me. I don't. Uh, Zach, what's the temptress in Lord of the Rings for Frodo to use the rain all the time? All right. So at the very end, Frodo's in Mount Doom, and man, what's that? Mm. Can't throw it in, can he? I don't know. I just. I don't like his. At least for the majority of the book, right? Frodo was fighting against it, right? where it seems like Tao is so ingrained and it's everything to him. His conversations with Jayad, in which he goes, you gave us hope and told us that the lessers could be more or whatever, and that's what I use to fuel my rage to win or whatever. He's not even focusing on the lesser thing. He's focusing on the rage. Every aspect is turned. Right. When, when Zuri finally moment. comes to him and says, they've assigned me to a thing, his love for her and them being together doesn't mean anything in the face of I've been assigned to Kellen. Rage. Right. But his final, the ultimate boon of this book is a rejection of that temptation to seek revenge. Right? He chooses to save the Queen and Jabari rather than when he thinks all hope might be lost anyway, let's just go kill Abasi. He chooses not to. How? I get that it's... It, seems just, it just seems super delayed, I guess. It, it is super delayed, but it's so integral to the way that the catharsis of the climax of this book plays out. I suppose also the part that bugged me is that when we've reached this crux of this revenge at the final scenes that we're talking about, the decision is made without too much insight into Tao's head. I feel like we got so much insight throughout the story about what Tao was thinking, and at this very critical moment... He's looking in at the queen and Jabari. He's looking at an escape and he keeps hearing Jabari's calling for aid. And then he just goes. And I would have. Now, I liked that it was so sudden. What I didn't like was that when, even when he's going to save Zuri, that there's not 
a contemplation of just shanking Kellen in the back. We don't really have a moment where he decides, where we have an internal monologue where he decides that Kellen's life is worth sparing. No, and he does. I mean, he's already followed him so far from the from the crag all the way to the city. So, and they don't seem to be super contested there. They seem to just be amicable, even amicable. Yeah, right. Even at the end, when Kellen, when it's like, "Hey, he told you to go," and Kellen goes, "That's because he thought I was the best fighter, and he was wrong." So, if we take a look at our tone with the creator and what we what we really say, Campbell's steps have it defined as. Uh, in this step, the hero must confront and be initiated with whatever holds the ultimate power in his life. Uh, and I don't think Jayed fulfills that role as much as he has become this sort of surrogate father figure. He doesn't... We've already shown that Tao is above him on a military level. He also has apparently a better understanding of the sociopolitical implications because he doesn't trust the peace that's happening whatsoever, whereas Jayad seems to go along with it. And uh, he seems to be willing to sacrifice more and go farther than Jayad is, is, is willing and or able. And, and that's why I think Jayad's death, while impactful to Tao, is not the crux of this story. Huh, that's interesting. That's not how I thought you were going to attack this. But I kind of agree with you on that. Um, Tao does see farther than Jad for some of this. Part of this I disagree with. Tao didn't trust that the queen had good intentions and Jad did. And we know that the queen did have good intentions. It was other nobles that Jad thought would be subservient to the queen's wishes who did not have the good intentions. So I, I don't know if we can necessarily say that Tao had a better understanding of the politics and I do think that this is kind of where the story has been leading up to. It, it ties together the story for revenge and the queen's melee with the real um, point of the story. When Jaya dies and he gives Tao the dragon scale saying, you have to save the scale. Um, if we could extend this a little further beyond Jad's view, you have to save the, the lusters. You have to save the chosen so I I, kind of, I like it. I see where you're coming from, though. The problem with your apotheosis is that while there's a, a great realization that the that the coup is going on, that the the nobles who were going back to protect the city had none of the lessers amongst them, which was originally just treated as a, oh, they're sending us to die, and they're going back to the cushy, safe area. And then how that evolves into, oh, Jamelia is a dragon caller, and that's why these people are invading, and they're going to take, they found out, and they're now cooing the queen. is all well and good. It has that sort of aha factor that we like to see in our stories, but it lacks the targeted nature to our adventure in his ability to prove that the lessers aren't less than the nobles. And if there had been some sort of, all of the lessers standing up and overthrowing these nobles who were trying to take it from the queen. But really it's just this coordinated group of a few. And we see the most important actions on a, on a wide scale are being done by the noble class with only a few of the lessers interacting. And those few lessers that are interacting, most of them are, are those half bloods. Um, and so I think it, it lacks any real impact on this, on this journey you set us out on. So disagree so so much. Well, just to move in on Zach's point before you dive in. So Zach, I see this as 
the opposite of what you're trying to say here. The scale of lessers, even though it's just a small group of them, it's still a scale of lessers are the only ones that go and protect the queen that save her from this coup. There's no one else. There is one noble, well, two nobles and one gifted who go with a group. Uh, Jabari, Kellen, and Zuri. Jabari and Zuri are only going because of um, Tao. So Tao is bringing along the other two nobles, aside from Kellen, who has other reasons to go. But Kellen's whole scale marches with them into the city and then stops, abandons the queen, and don't do anything to help her. The only people that do are these lessers. And I think that that is really an apotheosis moment. It's the lessers, even, even though they're smaller. And if you want to say that these mixed lesser and nobles aren't lessers, I think you're incorrect based on the society's own perception of them. So I think what we're looking at here, and this is perhaps the crux of my argument, is that the actions taken by these lessers are not showcased to have an immediate impact, A, on the lesser's place in society. It's not like the queen is completely throwing out anything. There was already a system in place that allowed a lesser to be the champion. It just didn't happen. Um, I and, don't think that's true. Uh, a lesser could become an Ing Ingoyama technically, and any Ingoyama could be picked to be champion. All He's right. technically right. So, and I just think we don't get to see the ramifications fully. You you might be right that there does come a reckoning due to the actions of this, but the main reward we see for this scale of lessers is ultimately death. And I don't think that the uh, what little has been gained uh, through their sacrifice is enough to qualify as an apotheosis here for what we want, which is some sort of equalization of the lessers in society. I guess we'll have to see what happens in other books to see who's right here. I, I can't argue against that. There's more to come with this point. And I think it's going to be seen in the, in the next book or a couple books that I'm ultimately going to be proved right, but we'll see. I, I also but, think there's, like in the, in the future books, I would think it'd be particularly adept of the, you know, behind the scenes puppets, maybe in line with the queen to present Tao in such a way that somehow gives him some sort of nobil nobility bloodline or status as made up as it may or may not be in order to legitimize him. Whereas the the kind of people behind the scenes for the lessers want it made apparent that he is is, is fully of common blood. Um, I think where I'm going to ultimately come down on this point is uh, not falling in the hero category. And it's not because I don't think that this is the, these moments that we're talking about aren't the apotheosis of the story. I just think that they belong to Kellen and Jabari and the queen, not necessarily to Tao. I don't think... I don't think he has a flash of his flash of insight is that the coup is going to happen, but his flash of insight isn't the one, right? There's nothing to him that's showing that lessers are better or equal. And there is no flash of insight. We, we missed the flash of insight where he could realize that, right. Kellen and Jabari aren't bad people and don't deserve to die for their, for the crime of being noble. 
Tao in these final few chapters seems simultaneously full of his own agency while also being swept along in a current the likes of which he has no real control over, which I find a very interesting dichotomy. And I don't know if either of you agree with me in that because he showcases his extreme prowess and his fighting ability and obviously him being there drastically shifts the outcome of what what happens but I don't necessarily see him making an abundance of decisions to affect that outcome. It's, it's more like he's a Taviran than he, just by being there, his actions affect things rather than him making conscious decisions and efforts to, to make I stuff. I think that might be an artifact of uh, the style of writing that we're seeing here in an attempt to sort of mimic the rapid pace of combat and these shifting events that we don't get large internal monologues from Tao in the way that we as readers would normally expect, right? In his brashness of his personality, Tao just makes these snap decisions and we, we see them in single lines rather than paragraphs or pages of inner turmoil. And yeah, so I think, it might, I think it might make it harder to award some of these later points. But we're all good with the ultimate boon, right? Do you want me to do the ultimate boon, or uh, do you want to just concede it because it's so clearly goddamn the ultimate? I, I mean, the only thing that I want to stress is once again, it's saving the queen and picking it over revenge. He's choosing to focus on a step right, elevating, showing that he's better than them rather than just as bad as they are. And that's going to close us on our hotly contented initiation. Uh, with my final decision being uh, our atonement with creator and apotheosis. It might exist in the story, but not necessarily for me, for Tao. And tragically not flying in on the wings of a dragon, but walking like the plebs that we are, we journey into our return. I think there's probably some running going on, but no, no dragon riding. Um, for our refusal of the return, this was a little hard for me to pin down just because of how fast everything happens. But there is this point um, where Tao has saved the queen from the nobles who are trying to overthrow her. And Zuri is calling the dragon to kill the Hideni. Uh, and that would end that part of the battle. And... Um, Tao goes into Ishago and fights demons to try and protect Zuri, even though he's already achieved this boon of saving the queen and he is almost free, um, minus one very important person in his life. So as Tao is fighting in Ishago and uh, about to succumb to the demons, he is forced out by the queen um, which I would say is his magical flight. And then his rescue from without, a little bit tied into that, and then a little bit tied into Zuri uh, being able to entreat the dragon to kill the Hedeni that are attacking them still. Um, for a crossing the return threshold, uh, this is again a little hard to pin down. I would say that this is probably the brokered piece between the Hadeni and um, the Chosen, this period of time, uh, one month essentially, where 
there's going to be peace and Tao can uh, return to a semi-normal life <laughs> for um, for uh, for a month. Um, for a master of two worlds, I think I have a bit of a stronger point here. Tao is offered by the queen to become her champion. And this, I think, proves that he has mastered this militaristic society world. He has gotten to the highest point that anyone can get to um, from that aspect. He's become the queen's consort and champion to fight her battles. And he is also a hero of the lessers. We saw earlier in the melee that the lessers are beginning to look at him as a figurehead for them. And... I would assure, um, well, I am assured that that is going to continue on throughout this book as he has now become uh, the champion of the queen. And finally, for uh, freedom to live, um, as we have hinted, Tao is hellbent on revenge against uh, Abasi, the noble ultimately responsible for his father's death, the only one who is still alive. And he gets governmental approval to go and hunt down this man. So that seems uh, like a pretty good freedom aligns all of his desires together. Your refusal of the return. The problem I have with this is where are we viewing the ultimate boon taking place? Because I want to tie in this refusal of the return, the magic flight and the rescue from without in a way that isn't the magical flight and rescue from without supposed to be from the place that the ultimate boon has been achieved? Yes. Yes, but we've been pretty lax with that. And I would say generally that the, the palace is where the ultimate boon was achieved. But I would say that the the spirit world, the demon world, is so much removed from that type of danger that they have been experiencing in this first section that it, it's its own categorization, right? We've we've been seeing him facing this very mortal, very human menace, both in the fact of the savages and the nobles coup and all that. And so while I don't necessarily mind him jumping into the, the spirit world to fight the demons being a refusal, I don't mind that per se. I think it takes something away from then the magical flight and the rescue from without. I think I agree with you that it it detracts from maybe the Campbell purist in it because it's a rescue from the danger that he puts himself in as part of his refusal. But I think it's hard to argue that it wouldn't meet all of our criteria that we often use for magical flight and rescue from without. Bar the one important moment, he does not pass out till later. You no, know, because I really do like the jumping immediately into danger as a nice refusal of the return. I've saved the queen, but the queen doesn't really matter compared to Zuri. So we, we jump right back into danger, um, whereas she matters more on one scale. He wasn't aware of her danger until later, so um, which she's ultimately unsuccessful. We've seen too much of his world has been immediately destroyed, tied with the fact that this new master he's gotten as the queen's champion I think comes with a lot of asterisks attached to this new master of a world in which we aren't overly familiar with the responsibilities. I mean, he's also stepped into the role, if we're, if we're to treat the champion as one of the highest military positions that you can achieve and therefore has a great amount of uh, 
importance from a strategic standpoint of how things are supposed to be done, even on a simple bodyguard level. I don't think that Tau has that sort of military acumen that some of his sword brothers have shown, and he's he's more of a uh, you know a, a brute. He's he's very much like a berserker that we see towards the end, and I think I think we I think it's hard to say Master of Two Worlds when my at least for me when my gut instinct is that the next book might be a lot about coming into his own as the queen's champion. And lastly, for me as well, I think there's a big indicator to us that Tao is so very far from whole. The final chapter of this book is given to us from the queen's perspective because Tao is so emotionally dead. He's been sitting in their equivalent of a psych ward staring at the window and no one's sure he's even going to talk to the queen when she shows up. And then your freedom to live... Again, Alex, I know you're trying, and I know that's the point of the podcast, but uh, he, all that Tao ever really wanted, and he said it multiple times to Zuri, is I wanted, this isn't the life I wanted, all I wanted was to live with you as we wanted with our children, and a simple life. And that would have been, you know, if Tao had been able to walk away from this all and live that kind of life, having achieved what he needed, perfect. So basically, I think it boils down to a section here in the back of the book in which Tao and the Queen are, are discussing. Uh, she's asked, she says, we need a hero to help us rebuild what has been broken. He says, I'm no hero. And she says, you are to the lessers. You are to the people who still fight for us. I am no hero. Siora made her voice hard. Then be a weapon. And that surprised him. She could see it in his rough-edged face. And she goes on to say, our champion's first task is one of vengeance. And so... She's really playing into this single-mindedness and this rage that uh, Tao still has. And I think that this, A, binds him to her in a way that may prove dangerous in the future for both of them. And also sets him down a course that does not have a multitude of choices, which is really where I think the crux of our freedom to live is. That's... Fine. I do think you highlighted why I picked my Master of Two Worlds the way I did. Um, I do see where you guys are coming from, though. And I'm going to agree with you. Tao does not have uh, freedom to live at the end of this book. Yeah, and again, not to be dismissive of your Master of Two Worlds, because it's what, in a different story, it would be. He'd accept the role of Queen's Champion and Hero to the people, and those would be the two sides of himself coming together. But that's just not the man that Tao views himself as yet. All of that being said about whether Tao is a hero or not, we do end up, by our measure, being a hero with a 12 out of 17, with just within the return losing those last three points. But that's going to close us out on Tao's journey in Rage of Dragons. Uh, Hitting us with those closing thoughts, Zach. So I think this book was refreshingly unique, both in its magic sense, um, as well as a character that was doggedly pursuing revenge to a flaw. Um, He happened to have occasional moments of what he might consider weakness from this cause, but I think ultimately he is driven by that one fact of revenge. And by the end of the book, we find most of those things that were holding him back from it have both figuratively and literally burned away. And so 
I liked that aspect of Tao. I think he was an enjoyable character to read. Uh, it reminded me a lot of The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie, which is one of my favorite books that I've read this year. Um, ultimately, this falls short a little for me from, I think, what you're going to hear from the other two members of the podcast, simply because the um, the details left out by the author on a world-building scale, while probably makes sense so that this book doesn't end up uh, an extremely long one, um, still left me wanting to know more, which is not ultimately a bad thing, but I think we could have fit more understanding on the reader's part into this first book. And I think that's where it just falls a little bit short for me. No, as, as Zach alluded to, uh, Alex and I have been raving about this book to each other back and forth. It's going to sit solidly on my top intro first books and series lists for a long time to come. Uh, but I'm going to use my 30 seconds to just gush about the fight scenes in this book. This is just some of the best action writing I have ever gotten to read. They're, they're engaging, they're heart pounding. I know absolutely nothing about sword fighting, so maybe they're deeply inaccurate, but you, I was wholly convinced that Tao of Tao's evolution into the world's greatest killing machine. And I was blown away entirely. Right. Yeah. So this is uh, similar to Jack. My favorite new book I've read this year, um, which is high praise. We've read a lot of really good books. Gideon the Ninth, I think, was sitting at the top of this list previous. And this has surpassed it um very this has surpassed it by a decent amount i am just very excited to see this going forward um some of the things i'm looking forward to i keep wanting kellen to be better than he is and i think that this is going to come later kellen now has to realize that he has had a bigoted and incorrect worldview for a while and should change that and just some little things that I wanted to mention. Tao is claustrophobic. That's so... Oh, weird. yeah. I forgot about that. That was cool. Yeah, this is cool. Um, the time that Tao spends in this demon world is like my favorite interpretation of Flash's powers. He's able to slow down time, give himself more time to train, do what he wants. And that's amazing. And then for this final bit of praise, just if you know me, you know how big of a Sanderson fan I am. I can't think of a better way to praise this book. This whole book has the same energy as the honor is dead duel and words of radiance. It's just continuous impact, crazy fighting and continuously going beyond what the odds are telling us. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, I've been your host and judge Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. Join us next week as we dive into Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. Yay. Oh, thank you. I mean, in fairness, while the rest of the men are partying, Tao is studying both of the blades. Terrible. Um...